0: as you stand in body or spirit we'll come before God's word very likely as Jesus would have one time they asked him what the great commandment was and he responded with what was known as the shema Deuteronomy 6:4 and then added Leviticus 19:18 love your neighbor and gave us the great commandment so uh we want to remember uh the roots of our faith and so if you'll follow after me in Hebrew then we'll join together in English and reciting what Jesus would have recited shema israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Had, Hear, o Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This summer, we are walking through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we come to an interesting chapter because it is a genealogy. And uh, at first, it may appear it doesn't have much to offer us, but uh, let's look and see. So I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 5, the first four verses, then I'm going to skip ahead to 18. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. "'After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years "'and had other sons and daughters. "'Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. "'When Jared,' this verse 18, "'had lived 162 years, "'he became the father of Enoch. "'And after he became the father of Enoch, "'Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. "'Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died.'" When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And the last verse, after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. When I was a young pastor, I received this advice in preaching class and also received it either from other pastors. And the advice went something like this. Do not preach from the genealogies. They are deadly boring. Nobody wants to listen to the genealogies. Well, I, I can understand that, and but some people over the years have sort of mined the genealogy in Genesis 5 and, and I guess come up with things that are interesting to them. Uh, one of my favorites was in the mid-17th uh, century, there was an archbishop, um, Charles Usher, in Dublin, Ireland. And what he did by tr- trying to count the years from um, Adam to Noah, he decided he could calculate the age of the earth, and this is what he came up with. On Sunday, October 23rd, 4004 BC, do you know what happened? He concluded the world was created on that day. Now, there's been a lot of opposition to Archbishop Usher's uh, chronology over the years, but that was one thing you can do with it. Other people did something different. They found Enoch interesting. Enoch who walked with God and then was no more. And in fact, there is a a book in Jewish literature, not in our Bible, called First Enoch, which kind of tells what happens after Enoch gets up to heaven. Enoch gets all sorts of um, uh, information that other people don't have access to about the end of days and since word back to the earth about what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Other uh, traditions are that Enoch gets to heaven and then suddenly becomes an angel. And then there are many people when they teach revelation who believe that Enoch shows up again in the last days. So they found something interesting. But on the whole, I was taught genealogies are boring. But you know what? My wife spends a lot of time with genealogies. Maybe not so much Genesis 5, but oftentimes I'll come home and and she'll be on the computer on Ancestry. And so uh, I'll let her do the work for me. So now I'm kind of interested to see like if they trace my line back. Surely I'm related to Winston Churchill or, or maybe Abraham Lincoln. If she'll just work hard enough, I know she'll discover that. And then for Father's Day, uh, a year ago, I got one of those swabs, you know, that you, you send off your DNA and they, they tell you what exotic places you're from. And I was pretty excited to find what the hidden treasure was in my genealogy. And I found out that I was from Western Europe. But it's interesting. Pam kept working at it, my wife, and, and I found out that actually I wasn't kin to Abraham Lincoln but on my maternal grandmother's side, there were, there were two young men who fought for the Confederacy, ended up imprisoned in the Chicago area in a union prison camp and didn't even know each other were there. I thought that was interesting, but my interest turned to dismay when I found out that actually they came from slaveholding families and that that's in my background. So it makes me wanna go back to Genesis and kind of quit tracing mine. But if you go back to Genesis, there's something actually pretty interesting there. You probably noticed it. In Genesis 5, one of the most interesting things is how long people lived. Methuselah lives 969 years. And then there's a guy, Jared, lives 962 years. In fact, there are 10 generations from Adam to Noah listed in Genesis 5, and the average age is 857.5 years. I thought that was interesting. But what makes it more interesting is that other lists of ancient uh, people and their ages uh, that we compare this to, the most um, prominent list is in Mesopotamia, kings would always come from a line and they would list the kings before them and how long they reigned. And uh, one reigned in the what's called the Sumerian kings list. So it would be in the Mesopotamia area. One reigned, he claimed 65,000 years. And there are 10 generations of kings listed in the Sumerian king list in Mesopotamia. And their average tenure is 42,000 years. Guys in the Bible, they're just, they're kids. They don't live very long at all. But what's interesting to me is when you dig into it, the Egyptians had something similar that lists of genealogies were for the kings. They were for the powerful. It was a way to say, I'm reigning and my reign is stable and I come to it by, uh, by right and I'm strong. I've been here forever. I'll be here forever. The lists are for kings. But if you look at Genesis 5, there's not one king in the bunch. Really, there's hardly anybody notable from Seth to a guy named Noah. None of them become a king. Well, Noah becomes somewhat of a boat builder but nobody else is even worth remembering in history outside the Bible, it seems. And yet they get listed. I'm wondering if one of the messages in Genesis 5 is the same message we saw in Genesis 1 when God said, let us make humans in our image, which is sort of a royal language, and to have an image meant that you were a king or queen. I think God is repeating the lesson here in Genesis 5 that every human being, even if they think they are nobodies, They are, in God's eyes, a king or a queen. All of us are royalty. So when you see the list that goes from Adam to Noah, it's almost as if you and I should put our name in the middle of that list because we may seem like nobody to most of the world, but to God, we are royalty. Now, further, what interests me is when you look at Egypt and you look at Mesopotamia and other other areas that make lists, the kings not only rule forever, but they had a long list of accomplishments. And when you go back to Genesis 5, you realized, well, none of these people ruled forever. And what exactly were their accomplishments? If you look at it closely, you know what their accomplishments were? They had kids. That was it. And I didn't read you the old translation, but I know you may be familiar with it. So and so begot so and so, who begot so and so, who begot so all they did was begot. Or beget. And they got mentioned. I wonder if it's God's way of winking over at the Mesopotamians and saying, do you know what counts? It's not the palaces you build. It's not the countries you conquer. Do you know what counts? It's the relationships. I mean, you've realized that, right? Um, I've had the pastor, the the awesome responsibility and privilege of being with people, uh, often in their last days, and they know it's their last days. They have that sense. And I haven't had one of them yet point to a degree or diploma on the wall. I haven't had one of them yet tell me about all their great accomplishments, but I can't tell you how often they point me to pictures of people in their families. And they tell me stories about people they love and people who love them. I think God hardwired us. Our instinct is to know that what counts is not the great things we build. What counts are the relationships that we have with each other. And to me, that's what makes this character Enoch, who seems so mysterious, he walked with God and then he was not because God took him. That's why I think he fits in this genealogy. Stay with me a second and see if you agree. There are 10 generations from Adam to Noah. 10 is a biblical number all the way through Revelation that usually indicates completeness. It's like the whole thing is 10. So it's basically the whole story from Adam to Noah we're gonna give you right here. And also a special number you probably can imagine. Uh, More special than 10 is the number, seven. Well, Enoch is the seventh generation. He lives 65 years, has a kid, Methuselah, who lives a long time. Then he lives another, he walks with God and lives another 300 years. He lives 365 years, which is a year, of course, for every day in the solar cycle, which even though the Jews typically used a lunar calendar, um, uh, they would know the significance of that. So basically, it's almost as if the author of Genesis is saying, pay attention to this guy Enoch. He's going to teach you something. He's the seventh generation his lifespan is 365. And if we're to look at him, what it looks like is he never died. He walked with God and then he wasn't. He was gone. He was gone. And God took him. Now there's a couple of theories about why God may have taken him. One of them is, uh, if you're a sports fan, you might get this. Uh, I, others, I apologize. I, I call it by my translation, the perfect game theory. It's like, It's like Enoch in his lifetime hasn't walked anybody, hasn't given up a hit. And it's almost like everybody, and and it's like God doesn't wanna ruin that for him. And so God takes him. Some of the ancient believers believe that God took Enoch out of the world because he hadn't sinned yet and, and didn't want him to. Could be. Another theory is almost the opposite. It says that Enoch was 65 years old when he had a kid and then he walked with God and he lived 300 years. And what they say is that For 65 years, Enoch just kind of did his own thing. But then when he had a child, it turned him around and he started walking with God. I kind of like that one because I think there's something about children that kind of make us clean up our act a little bit. Uh, and, And so what they say that Enoch was the first person that modeled repentance that he changed. I don't know, but either way, he's there and he's not. And so you might say, what's the difference between Enoch and anybody that came before or even after him in the Bible? And the difference might be, compare him with Abraham. Abraham, the father of our faith. What Abraham does is the Bible says Abraham walked before God. And what that meant is Abraham was very obedient. Abraham did things right that God asked him to do. But it says that Enoch walked with God. There's a sense of intimacy there that they're both wonderful people and wonderful examples. But what Enoch is teaching us is, don't be busy so busy working for God that you forget to work and walk with God, that the relationship is the main thing. I think the book of Psalms tries to say this in the opening chapter. It says that the righteous are planted by streams of water. In other words, they get in God's presence and they sort of plant themselves there. Jesus tried to teach us that in the story. Remember Mary and Martha? One of them's real busy in the kitchen and the other one is sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus commends the one sitting at his feet. There's something important about just being in relationship with God. And that's why Enoch is so special. It seems he realized that we were made for relationships and the most important relationship we're made for is the one we have with God. But if you're like me, that's kind of a hard lesson. I spend a lot of my trying, trying to prove myself to God. To make God feel like uh, I was worth the investment. Do you remember Private Ryan? Do you remember that movie? And so they're at the cemetery in Normandy, and Private Ryan, of course, is an older man now, and he turns to his wife and he says, Tell me I was worth it. Because if you remember when Captain Miller rescued Private Ryan at the cost of his life, he said, You better be worth it. You better go on to invent a longer lasting light bulb. Do something be worth it. But what God seems to be saying in Genesis is, you know what what makes it worth it? That you'll love me, that you'll be in relationship with me, and you'll be in relationship with other people, other of my children. thought about this. If God has a vehicle, I don't know that God would need one, but if God had a vehicle, what kind of bumper sticker would God put on it? Because I can think of the ones we want God to put on it or that we put on speaking on behalf of God. You know, one of them is, you know, bumper sticker. God might say is, I said it, you believe it, that'll settle it. Or another one, God might put on God's car would say, keep my son in Christmas. Or maybe, or maybe God wouldn't have that. Maybe God would have another one that says instead, ask me about my great, 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 great grandchildren. Because I think what counts to God is not first of all the things we do, but the fact that we are with God and that we are with one another. Genealogies, they can be boring. But in Genesis 5, I assure you, this is not boring to God because he knows every name on that list. And you know what? There is a book, none of us have seen it. It's called the book of life. It's a long book, I assume, with lots of names, a very long list. And that book is anything but boring to God. And you know what else? Your name is on it.